don't know if you've ever really prayed that prayer. I was looking at the words, you're all I want, you're all I've ever needed, Uh, help me know you are near. I don't know if you've ever really prayed a prayer like that, but God has never um, heard a prayer like that and failed to respond. If, If you want to know who God is, the Bible says if you'll seek Him with all of your heart, then you will find Him. And, and I'm hoping today that, that after we begin this series, I hope that it, that it kind of um, whets your appetite. Because we're going to go five weeks in this series about what it means to live in the sweet spot of God's success. To live in the zone. And, uh, and we're going to be talking each week about how you do that. And, and the things that keep us from doing that. And the things that if we will do just a few things that God tells us to do how we can move from being outside the zone to living in the zone. And one of the first things that, that we've got to do if we're going to figure out this whole zone thing is we've got to, to figure out who God is. What I put at the top of your listening guide is in the zone, God-hearted. And today we're going to do just a, a look at a few verses from God's Word and try to figure out what God's heart looks like so that we can understand what our heart is supposed to look like. So let's just jump right in to one of the most famous Verses, probably the most famous verse in the Bible, John three sixteen. This is in the New Living Translation. For God so loved the world that he gave. You might circle that word. I underlined it for you, but you might circle that word. He gave his only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. If you want to know what God is like, you look at this verse. We circle that God is a giving God. Uh, God gave before we ever considered giving to him or to anyone else. The Bible says in Romans 5, 8, God demonstrated his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners. Sorry, I didn't have that one in there, Josh. I confused you. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. The whole key to that is you and I did nothing to earn the favor of God. God gave to us the possibility of having eternal life before we ever even considered giving our hearts to him. God was the first giver. So to be God hearted means that we've got to learn to give. Now, Romans 8, 31 and 32. If God is for us, who can ever be against us? We have prayed this verse from the beginning of this church when we had 17 people meeting in a pizza parlor. We said, OK, God, if you're for us, we'll be able to pay the electric bill. Because back then that was huge. Actually, it's huge now. But, you know, we got a few more people sharing the, the, the burden there. We said, God, if you're for us, we can't fail. Verse 32, since God did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us all. There, circle that word again, gave. This is where we're going today. God was a giver. He didn't spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. Won't God, here we go again, who gave us Christ, circle that word, also give, circle that word, us everything else. The greatest gift that that God could ever give us was Jesus Christ. And he gave us a way to make it to heaven. Because see, this life that you have isn't all there is. I did a funeral a little over a week ago, and this was the whole point of the message. This life is not all there is. God offers you something that is more than the opportunity of a lifetime. God offers you something that is an opportunity beyond this lifetime. And the the amount of time that you will live on this earth is just a speck. It's the blink of an eye compared to what you will spend in eternity. God knew that we were not perfect people. We couldn't spend eternity with him because he lives in a perfect heaven. So the only way that we could get to that perfect heaven was him to send someone who's perfect to die on our behalf 
so that if we come through him, through Jesus Christ, we might live in eternity with God forever. That's how we get to heaven. The greatest gift God could ever give us was a way to get to heaven. So he gave his son. The logic of this verse in Romans 8, 31 and 32 is if God gives us the greatest gift that we could ever have his son, why would God then turn around and not give us the stuff we need to live every day? It makes no sense. If God gives us the greatest gift, he will also give us the other things that we need to make it through. God will will give us what we need, not what we greed. All right. That's that's a key point. Now, Jesus pointed this out in John 10, 10. Jesus said the thief's purpose, the thief he's talking about here is Satan, the devil, the enemy of God. Satan used to live in heaven. He wanted to be like God. God cast him out of heaven along with a third of the angels. They are now the demonic forces and their whole purpose is to mess you up. They want to tear you down. Look what it says. Jesus is talking. The thief's purpose is to steal and kill and destroy. Well, what what does he want to steal, kill and destroy your joy, your purpose in life, your meaning for getting up every day? He wants to steal from you, destroy your life. Contrast that with Jesus purpose. He says it right here. My purpose is to give life in all its fullness. Circle that word give. Jesus said, I want you to have life in all its fullness. Now, he was talking about heaven here. But it's more than that. He also means that he wants you to have fullness of life here on this earth. And um, he wants to give you meaning and purpose right now. Because, see, if, if Jesus' only purpose was to get us into heaven, as soon as you became a Christian, you'd be gone on the, on the fast flight to heaven. Because what other purpose would you have? The purpose is once we learn where, where beggars get bread. We're just one beggar telling another beggar where to go and get food. Once we learn that, he wants us to spread that message to as many people as possible so that his heaven can be filled. The Bible says that God is not slow about his promises, but he is patient, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. God desires for all to come to repentance, but he will not make anyone come to repentance. That means to turn your life over to him. The choice is ours. God never sends a person to hell. A person chooses hell. And if you've ever caught a glimpse of hell, it will motivate you to tell as many people as possible how they can avoid that awful place. I was watching a TV program and it's these atheists. This came on late at night. And these atheists, they're they're declaring. And and I wasn't angry with them at all. My heart was broken because they're like, first of all, there is no hell. There is no heaven. This is all there is. And I was going, man, there's no hope in that. And it's real easy to say when you're in good health, (laughs) oh, there is no God. Jesus Christ, he was a fairy tale. That's what they were saying. I'd like to be near them on their deathbed because I've been around a lot of people who've died. I've not met an atheist on a deathbed. When you come close to that time that you're going to breathe your last breath and you don't know what's on the other side. And that's what I kept thinking. I'm watching this guy. He's so confident, so arrogant that he knows the answer. And he'd say the same thing about me, that I'm confident and arrogant that I know the answer. The difference is, and I looked at Janie and I said, who am I going to believe? This guy who's never tasted death or Jesus, the only one who's tasted death and came back. I'm not following a guy who's going to die and stay in the grave. I'm going to follow a guy who, who overcame the grave. Jesus said, my purpose is to give you fullness of life. Christianity's not only the best way to die, the only way to die, it's the best way to live. You die without Christ, there's no hope. You die with Christ, then you get to go do what Christ did, which is go to heaven. 
James 1.17 says this, every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights who does not change like shifting shadows. What this means is when you look around your life, every good thing you have came from God. And it says he doesn't change like shifting shadows. If you think about that imagery, if you're ever out in the woods or you're out at night, you see the shadows changing. The Bible tells us that God does not change. He is good, the ultimate good, the ultimate giver. He's that way yesterday, today, and forever. If you want to know what God is like, he is the ultimate giver of good gifts. Now, one guy who lived in the zone comes from the Old Testament. There's two Testaments in the Bible. There's the Old Testament, the New Testament, or the Older Testament, and the Newer Testament. In the Old Testament, one of the first guys in, in the first book of the Bible, Genesis chapter 13, his name is, is Abraham. Actually, it's Genesis 12 that we're going to start in. This is a really interesting story because Abraham came from a family of idol worshipers. In his youth and growing up, he was zoned out. But when we meet him, he's zoned in. He has sold out his life to God. And look what God says to him in Genesis 12, 2 and 3. If you do, now what he's talking about, he had just said, Abraham, get up and go to a land I'll show you. That's all the details God gives him. Get up and go to a land that I'll show you. And then here he picks it up. If you do, God's speaking to Abraham. If you do, I will cause you to become the father of a great nation. I will bless you and make your name famous, and you will be a blessing to many others. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you, and the entire world will be blessed because of you. Now, at this point in history, God is about to do something big. If you study the Bible, what you, what you realize is, anytime God is about to do something, He always comes to an individual and reveals to that individual what He's about to do. You see, you don't discover God's will. It doesn't work that way. God reveals His will to you. What's important for New Life Community Church is not what we want to do. It's what God wants to do. So we have to figure out, we got to go to God and say, God, open our eyes spiritually so that we can see where you're going. Then we can join you. Because we could plan all kinds of stuff. And if God is coming tomorrow to destroy Palestine, what does it matter what we do in six months? we got to know what God wants us to do. And the only way we know that is if God reveals His will to us. At this point, He was about to build the nation of Israel. And God's smart enough to know that as goes the father, so goes all the rest of the generations. So God is looking for somebody who is sold out to God. And he finds Abraham because as goes the father, so goes the nation. And so he chooses Abraham. And uh, and the Bible says this, the entire world, God says this to Abraham, the entire world will be blessed because of you. That sounds like an exaggeration to me. You got some dude in the Middle East. Thousands of years ago, he's a shepherd. The whole world's going to be blessed through him. Well, here's here's the idea. God chooses Abe. We'll start with God because it's always God's idea. God says, I'm going to bless a nation. I'm going to build a nation of people who will follow after me. So I got to find the right man to be the father. So God chooses Abe. Shorter than Abraham, so we're just going to call him Abe when I write it out. Okay? I can spell Abe. Now, God chooses Abe. Through Abe is born the nation of Israel. Through Israel is born Jesus Christ. And through Jesus, the opportunity is given for every person here, every person in the world, the opportunity is given to be adopted into God's family. 
And like I said, not everybody chooses to follow that, but there is the opportunity. So trace it all the way back to this statement. God says to Abe, Abraham, I'm going to bless the entire world through you. Now, it took a while, but here we are in 2007, looking back all the way to Abraham saying, wow, as goes the father, so goes the nation, as goes the father, so goes the rest of the generations. And now you and I have the opportunity, opportunity to be blessed because a man named Abraham lived in the zone. Now, God's blessing is never just for you. And this is what God was saying to Abraham. I'm going to bless you, but it's not just you. I'm going to bless the whole world through you. God always blesses you so that you will turn around and be a blessing to others. And we'll talk about that in a minute. Now, Abraham was big time blessed. One time a worker was talking about Abraham. And this is what he said in Genesis 24, 35. The Lord has blessed my master abundantly and he has become wealthy. He has given him sheep and cattle and silver and gold, men servants and maid servants, and camels and donkeys. That's rich. How many of you got men servants and maid servants? I have children. I tell them that's why they were born. Do that, boy. That's why you were born. Um, not quite the same thing. Anybody got a donkey? We were driving down the road the other day, and Rachel goes, There's a donkey. I've never seen one in real life before. And if I'd have been thinking where I said, they're rich. <laughs> they got donkeys. Back then, that meant rich. And he was blessed occupationally, relationally, financially. He knew what it meant to be in the zone. But here's the key. He knew that everything he had came from God. So if you know that you're blessed by God and that everything you have is God's, then it becomes real easy to be a blessing to someone else. And that's the key. God blessed Abraham, not for the sake of Abraham. God blessed Abraham for the sake of you. Because go back to this. As goes the father, so goes the nation. God blessed you through Abraham, one man thousands of years ago, who decided to obey God and live in the zone. So it's this whole idea of a river. I'm going to do blue for river. That's real creative, isn't it? Now, just humor me. Now, what we're going to do is we're going to look at the river versus reservoir. I ran out of room. Not that I can't spell it. Actually, if you saw on here, I was practicing this, is, this out and I misspelled reservoir. So we're going to start with res. OK, here's the, the river versus reservoir principle. What does a river do with everything it gets? Okay, it, it kind of pushes it downstream. Now, I try to go fishing on the Trinity River at least once a year because the sand bass are running and I've really got the fever bad because it's a blast to go down there. And the cool thing about the Trinity River, it's like you never know what you're going to get from one day to the next because everything the Trinity River gets, it passes on. So like I've seen refrigerators I've seen, uh, I'm not kidding, I've seen washers and dryers, four-wheelers, you know, whatever it gets. Because the Trinity River, man, when it rains upstream, that sucker floods. And so I've been down there when you can't even tell. We're, we're going in the boat on treetops. The first time I ever went, my friend takes me like eight miles up this little creek. And I'm going, dude, how in the world do you know where you're going? And he's been there for like 25 years and he does this, you know, he's he's insane. He'll be down there three or four days a, a, a week fishing, you know, trying to find the sand bass. And then the incredible thing about the Trinity River is 
When it rains, I mean, it can come up 12 inches in one night in a 24 hour period. It can lower 12 inches. And so you can be fishing in one area one day and the next day go back and you can't even get there because the water is either lower or higher or whatever. Everything. We used to joke when we lived in Arlington because it seemed like every dead body that was discovered in in the Metroplex had been dumped into the Trinity River. So whatever is in the Trinity River is going to be pushed downstream. Now, mainly a river takes water and it comes downstream for the benefit of those downstream. But if you have the reservoir principle, you build a dam and you don't pass on. Everything that you get, it comes in and the benefit is only for you. And so anytime some company or some city like Dallas wants to build the Fastrill Reservoir, I don't know if y'all read the paper, that's this whole thing out on the Natchez River. There's this big fight about um, everybody that wants to protect the environment and folks that want to have, you know, the reservoir. And we're not going to get into all that. But who complains the loudest whenever some city wants to build a dam and, and, and build a reservoir? People downstream because <laughs> they're like, this is my livelihood. Farmers, ranchers, this is where I get my water. So if you have the reservoir principle and you live that, you take the blessings of God and you hoard them for yourself. And you block everybody that comes below you. And, and so we've got to learn to live out this river principle, not the river, reservoir principle. Um. Folks who live by the river principle bless others. Folks who live by the reservoir principle bless themselves. And they forget about people downstream. Now, we throw this word bless around, right? It's kind of this loose word that we'll chunk at something. Somebody sneezes, what do we say? Bless you or God bless you. I'm not sure. Actually, you know that came from years ago. They used to think if you were sneezing, you had evil spirits in you. I'm not kidding. It's almost like throwing holy water at you. Sneeze. Ah, get that demon out. You know, bless you. Um, some folks, and I'm not making fun of them, but some folks I know, they're Christians, and you say, hey, how you doing? Well, they say, I'm blessed. I'm like, okay, I don't, I'm not making fun of them because that's cool. I just don't talk that way. You ask me, you know, how are you? I'm good. I guess I could say blessed. I just have never thought, you know, like that. Some people say I'm blessed. You may be watching TV sometime. You see one of those comedians. Dude's on, you know, one of the Comedy Central, whatever, I don't know. And he's just doing his whole uh, routine. And he, and he says, you know, takes the Lord's name in vain 27 times. He'll drop the F-bomb 15 times. And then, then he gets to the end and he goes, you've been a great audience. God bless you. And he walks off. I mean, we throw this word around. And so we got to understand what this word means if we're going to understand God's blessing in our life. So let's look at this. When most Christians... Say they're blessed. Most Christians mean intangibles like peace. Now, if you've ever seen anybody that's not filled with peace, you understand peace is a big deal. Contentment of the soul, joy, meaning, purpose in life. Those are huge things. Those are intangible. But the blessing of God means more than just the intangibles. There are some tangibles that go with it. It is much deeper than just intangible. So here it is. Here's our definition for the next five weeks of the blessing of God. Blessing means to be on the receiving end of the tangible and intangible favor of God. Tangible and intangible favor of God. What this means is God blesses people in the zone, both financially and materially and spiritually. I guess that's three, not just both. 
But some of us have a hard time believing that. And here's the deal. If you disbelieve that God wants to bless you tangibly, then you are being a blessing blocker. You are building a dam that keeps God from blessing your life. Because the Bible says, without faith it is impossible to please God for all who come to Him must believe that God exists and that He rewards those who earnestly seek Him. God is a blessing type God. And if you're not going to believe that God blesses you, then you become a blessing blocker. And, and if we think about it, maybe the reason some of us aren't being blessed, and, and I'm not talking about name it and claim it. You don't get to drive down 79, go to Bacon Chevrolet and say, God bless me with that. Now you can try it. But I'm, I'm saying you're going to be frustrated if you try it. When we're talking about the favor of God, the cool thing about God being God is He gets to decide what His favor is. And He gives us our needs, not our greeds. So, maybe the reason some of us aren't being blessed is because we're not blessable. We do not believe that God is a God who wants to be involved in our lives, and so we don't treat Him with respect and honor, and we don't believe He's going to do anything for us, so God doesn't bless us because we're in the wrong position. Now, I want you to watch this video, and I want you to see if this person is being a blessing to others or if he's being a blessing blocker. New Community Church presents Mysteries of Life Theater, Episode 1, Oreo mysteries in Jason Selman's life, Oreo Envy. Jason, uh, inquiring minds just have to know, how did it get to this point? Well, when I was a kid, we didn't really have that much, and we never really got to eat any sweets. Uh, so as an adult, I don't even really like sweets, except Oreos and milk. So like, this is really a true story. You really hoard Oreos. Yes. Don't I deserve it after not ever eating any sweets as a child? And living with Danae. Yeah, I think we're all empathize there. So today we're talking about this whole topic of being God-hearted, that we have to reflect the image of God. And so do you think that um, Oreo envy is being God-hearted? Hmm. True story, true story. When, when we actually came up with this idea was we were talking in our meeting and, and Danae said, the only thing Jason ever does not share is Oreos. And uh, so that's a, that's a true story. 
And uh, we're just talking about, it may be silly for us to think about, I want my Oreos. And I was talking about, Janie bought me some of my favorite caramels the other day, and I got like six of them. And because they're expensive, they're these big old caramel things. And, and Rachel comes in immediately and she says, Daddy, can I have a caramel? And I'm like, I don't ever get caramels. And so I gave her half of one. And uh, <laughs> uh, now in this instance, it was kind of funny, though, because Jason was very generous with the Oreos. You want to know why he was so generous with the Oreos? It wasn't just because the pastor was there. It's because Homer didn't buy them. I bought them. So he's like, yeah, Oreos, Oreos, everybody have an Oreo. Um, and that's the, that's the whole idea. It's the difference in having this ownership mentality and management mentality. The river principle says I am really a manager. I'm a steward of everything that comes to me. And what I'm supposed to do is be this conduit of blessing towards others. The reservoir principle says I own it all and it's all mine. And don't you dare touch anything that's mine. Um, so Abraham understood this idea of management versus ownership. And Abraham understood that none of his stuff was his stuff. It was all God's stuff. And even though he was rich, he didn't buy into the reservoir mentality. And so check this out. You're all going, okay, that's great. Abraham was rich. You know, I'm not rich. And so this doesn't apply. Abraham had many sons. How does this affect me? Okay, this is really cool. I want you to see this. In Galatians 3.29, the Bible says, And now that you belong to Christ, you are true children of Abraham. You are heirs. What is an heir? The people who receive everything of the Father. You are heirs. And now all the promises God gave to him belong to you. All the promises God gave to who? Abraham. God wants to bless you and he wants to bless the world through you. But you got to be blessable. Abraham was in the zone and that same zone that he occupied is available to you. Remember, God, Abraham, Israel, Jesus, if you're a follower of Christ, you, all the promises that went to Abraham, God wants to transfer to you. It's available to Christ's followers. So if you want to be in the zone, then you have to be a blessing to others. So let's think about Abraham again. In Genesis chapter 13, Abraham and his nephew Lot are traveling together. And, and the really cool thing for Lot, Lot wasn't like the chosen one from, from God. But if you hung out with the chosen one from God, you were blessed too. And so they have all of their flocks and they're traveling around in the wilderness. And it would be like two Fortune 500 companies traveling together with all their flocks and herds and everything. Well, one day a dispute breaks out between Lot's workers and Abraham's workers because there's just not enough grass and water to go around. And so in this society... Who's the elder, Abraham or, or Lot? Abraham. And in this society, the elder could say what he wanted to. He was chosen by God. He was going to be the father of a whole nation. And who do you think would be the logical person to decide what was going to happen? You'd think, OK, this would be Abraham, the elder. But Abraham had the river mentality. And so he wasn't worried about um, who was being blessed because he knew it was all God's stuff anyway. So Abraham comes up with this idea in Genesis 13, 9. He says, take your choice. Of any section of land you want, and we will separate. If you want that area over there, then I'll stay here. If you want to stay in this area, then I'll move to another place. Now, Lot is no dummy. Lot looks up and he sees this one area east of the Jordan River, and it's incredible. Grass everywhere, um, all kinds of water supplies, things he would never have to worry about. And you look over this other, and it's kind of wilderness area. And I mean, that's a no-brainer. Lot says, I'll take that one. And so Abraham's like, cool, because it wasn't his stuff anyway. 
And God continues to bless Abraham. And and that's just incredible to me that the elder would say, you take whatever you want to and I'll bless you because we shouldn't be arguing over crops, over stuff that's God's. Now, probably the most famous story from Abraham that demonstrates this whole river principle is when God asked him to sacrifice his son, Isaac. We talked about this several weeks ago. Uh, Abraham was 99 years old whenever um, Isaac was born to him. He had waited for this son for over 25 years. God says, God comes to him when he's, you know, a young man of 74 and says, I'm going to build a great nation through you. Abraham's no dummy. Okay, God, I don't have any children. How are you going to do that? And God says, I'm going to give you a son. So they do all this stuff and they run off on tangents. You know, they have a child that's not through Sarah. And God's like, no, this isn't a child. Because Abraham says, can't, can't he really be the child? And, and God says, no, I told you I'm going to bless you. And it will be your seed through your wife. And so at the ripe old age of 99, Isaac is born. And so then later on, God tests him and says, I want you to sacrifice Isaac. This makes no sense because, God, you said you're going to make me a great nation. I waited 25 years. You gave me a son. Uh, If I do what you say, God, it blocks all of this. Abraham has a choice to make because this is a test. God's testing him to see if what kind of heart he has. Is he going to do the river thing or is he going to do the reservoir thing? Because the reservoir thing would be, this is my only son and you can't have him, God. Uh-uh. I can't do what you're asking me to do and live my life. That's the point. You can never stay where you are and go with God at the same time. You have to make a choice. And the choice determines whether you are a blessing to others or whether you stagnate. And so... He decides to, to sacrifice. And you know the end of the story. He, he puts his son up there. He's about to kill his son. And God says, stop, Abraham. I know that you are, you have the river mentality. I know that you're going to be a blessing to others. And he says, look up. And he sees a ram in the thicket. They, they, they sacrifice the ram. And this is a foreshadowing of Jesus Christ coming for us. What Abraham did with Isaac, God did with Jesus. And why did he have to do that? Why did God have to send Jesus to die on the cross because you and I are natural born takers, not natural born givers. And God said, I'm going to show you what it's like to be God hearted. I'm going to give my most prized possession. And if you'll trust me and if you'll be the type of person who passes blessings on to others, then I can trust you and I'll bless your life. Now, when uh, when Janie and I lived in Arlington, there was this lady named Melinda and Melinda was this prayer warrior. I don't know if you've ever met a prayer warrior, but if you have anything you need prayer about, you go to Melinda. I mean, she had stacks of stuff. She was a widow. She was widowed, at, I think, at age 52. Her husband died at age 52, young. Um, it, was a, it was a startling thing. happened before we got there, so we only heard stories about it. But this woman was unbelievable prayer warrior. When her, dad, when her husband died, he left her in really good shape financially. He'd worked in the oil industry. He was a smart dude, made lots of money, gave lots of money to the church. These were just giving people. Melinda had a, uh, a condo in South Padre Island, beachfront condo, 100 yards from the ocean. Every year she would give all of the staff this Christmas card. And in the Christmas card, it would be this little coupon and say, um, I love you and I want to bless you. You have one week 
at my condo in South Padre, and this was sweet. And we all we all fought as a staff over which week we would get. You know, we'd immediately run to it because you had to get on the calendar, and you know, we we had no idea about the River Principal. We were all stagnating. This is about me getting to go to the condo, and uh, we would go down to the condo, and it was sweet. And Janie, it was just Janie and me at this time, long before we had children, and so we're in this nice condo. Um, that sleeps six or seven people. And the cool thing was you would drive in and you come up, had the swimming pool. So if you didn't like sand, you know, you could do the pool thing. And, and you would go in, you'd knock on the, the manager's door. Manager would come out and, and he'd say, yeah, who are you? Because they're pretty, you know, strict about who comes in there. And you'd say, uh, I'm Doug Washburn. And he would look and he'd go, ah, oh, Mr. Washburn. His, his whole countenance would change. And he'd give me the key to the condo. If there's anything I can do, let me know. I'll take care of you. So, man, we would strut around. We'd go in and out of the condo, just have a good time. We'd go down to the beach. The cool thing when you're 100 yards from the beach is if you get hot, go inside. If you decide to go back to the beach, go back. So we'd go in the morning. We'd go at noon. We'd go at night. Whenever we wanted to go, we were living high on the hog. But come the last day, there were two rules that Melinda had. The one rule was make yourself at home. I love you. I want to bless you. Rule number two was... Do everything on the refrigerator before you leave. Now, why was that? Because we had to clean it up. We had to, so we would spend Friday afternoon, if we were leaving on Saturday, Friday afternoon, man, we would vacuum, we'd clean toilets, clean everything, because we lived in it and we loved it, but we also wanted to be blessed again next year. Because we leave it, we leave it un, unclean, what's she going to do? I mean, the message was loud and clear. I love you and want to bless you, but I will not bless you if you don't do what's on the fridge. You must follow these things. Well, God wants us to be a blessing. And, and let me just illustrate it this way. We're going to draw one more thing here, and I'm horrible, but I think you can figure it out. God wants us to live in the zone. And the reality is, most people in the world, most people in Palestine, and I'd be willing to bet... Even most people in this room don't live in the zone. Let's figure out what the zone is. All right. This represents the zone. This right here is the sweet spot of God's success. Sweet God's success. Now, the Bible tells us that God wants us to live in the zone. God is the blesser. Some children are being blessed downstairs right as we speak. God is the blesser and God wants to bless us. So us equal blessed. God blesses people who are in the zone. But God only blesses people if they continue to be a blessing. All right. So you got God's the blesser. We're blessed and he wants us to be a blessing. So now the idea comes. How do you move from being blessed to being a blessing. How do you go from blessed to blessing? Well, there's two keys here. This is on your listening guide. One is you have to receive. God never... You are not responsible in God's eyes for things you do not have. But God says, if I give you stuff, I give you stuff that I want you to pass on to others. So the first thing is you've got to receive it. You've got to be a member of God's family. And then you've got to receive everything that he wants to bless you with. And number two, he wants you to reflect. Receive what God offers and then reflect to others. Be the river, the conduit of blessing to other people. That's how you move from blessed to blessing. 
But there's a reality, and I just said this. Most people do not live in the zone. There is another land out here called the land of Ing. And most people in the world, in Palestine, maybe even in this room, live in the land of Ing. The land of Ing, people are obsessed with earning, spending, housing, clothing, bling, bling, (laughs) ka-ching, ka-ching, yeah. And here's the thing. Most people that are living in the land of Ing, even when they achieve all of this stuff, you know what they feel like on the inside? Empty. Because it's not about being in the land of Ing. God says, if you will move from the land of Ing into the zone, then I'll add my bless to your Ing. So we've got to spend... These next several weeks, figuring out how to get out of the land of ing, into the land of blessing, into the zone, so that we can be a blessing to others. And when you do that, watch out. Because God says He is looking for somebody that He can bless, who won't hold on to it, but that will go to somebody else. My brother was a pastor years ago, and he, uh, he was at this little church north of here, and there was a man who started out, he was a dairy farmer. And you probably would never expect a dairy farmer to be rich. I didn't expect a dairy farmer to be rich. The dude started out the first time he heard about this whole idea of giving to God. And he said, God, as you bless me, I'm going to give 10%. Next year it was 11%, 12%. When I met the dude, he was giving 90% of his income and living on 10%. That blows my mind. I'd do the math. <laughs> I can't live on that, God. But God, when he finds somebody he can trust, he will bless their socks off. Now, in this group today, I've done some, some research, some statistical research. In our group here today, about three out of ten of you are in the zone. That means about seven out of ten of you are living in the land of Eam. And you're going to have to come back next week figure out what those numbers mean. Take out your registration cards real quick. 